0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything,
1: everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known
2: as RP3. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company on this Monday, August the 15th. Oh, man, we got a good show lined up for you today. Busy, busy weekend. College football programs holding scrimmages. We'll get to that. We'll recap that. We'll share the audio from those glorified practices with you involving the Cajuns and the Cowboys. The Houston Astros Got themselves a weekend sweep of the Oakland Athletics to continue their pace as the best team in the American League. And of course, NFL preseason football. We also love to hear from you. You know that. The game hotline is open as always. 337 706 That's 337 337- 7060111. We have three guests lined up for you today. Our friend from Outkick, the award winning columnist, Glenn Gilbo, will join us at seven thirty this morning to talk about his book on Skip Bartman. That'll be coming up at 7 30. At 8 o'clock, Corey Diaz from The Daily Advertiser, Raging Cajun's Beat Writer, will join us. He'll give his thoughts on what he's seen so far with the Raging Cajuns at camp and from their scrimmage. So we're talking LSU with Glenn Gilbo at 7.30. Raging Cajuns with Corey Diaz at 8 o'clock. And then at 8.30, TJ Jones from the State of the Saints podcast will be joining us as we break down the first week of the preseason and what's going on in camp. The good, the bad, and the ugly Involving the black and gold. But that's where we're going to start today's show. We're going to be talking about the black and gold. First preseason game in the books. There were some things to like. There were some things not to like. Now, let's start off with this. Not everyone played. All right. Some people are dealing with injuries. Other people just didn't play. Coaching staff, Dennis Allen and his team decided some players will get to sit out and not get reps. While others that may need more reps will get playing time there Saturday night inside NRG Stadium. Let's talk about the good. Good was the team can run the football. No Alvin Kamara, no Mark Ingram, yet they still found a way to effectively run the football. Abram Smith, the undrafted rookie out of Baylor, led the team in rushing with seven carries for 30 yards, 4.3 yards a pop. He looked good until he put the ball on the turf. Ugh. But as a team, they rushed for 130 yards, averaging three and a half yards a pop. If you can do that once the regular season rolls around, you're going to be just fine. And to do that without Kamara taking any reps, without Mark Ingram taking any reps, Abram Smith, Tony Jones Jr. showed you as they combined 14 carries for 57 yards. They averaged four yards a pop combined. If they need to be put into a game they're going to be just fine. You're going to be just fine. So they were able to run the ball pretty effectively. Outstanding. Some other positives. DeJean Dixon. The undrafted wide receiver out of Nichols. He led the team with three receptions for 33 yards. Targeted four times. Kid can play. Make no no bones about it. Dixon can play. Whether or not he is good enough to bump someone off the 53-man roster for the regular season remains to be seen. But they may have got them somebody that they can keep around for a few years. But then there's the bad. Then there's the bad, in particular with the offense. But I'm going to focus on the good some more. Before we get to the bad, this is going to start off about the things that work good and then the things that worked so good. Chase Hansen sure is making a case to be kept on the roster. He looked good. Led the team with six tackles, five of them solo. That's a team high in the game. Two tackles for a loss and a pass deflection. JT Gray, we you know, is a special team star. He looked good as well. So once again, got a bunch of guys, Justin Evans. He had himself a pretty good game as well. As Evans and Hanson and Brian Allen all recorded interceptions in this ballgame for the back end of Dennis Allen's defense. In addition, Tony Jones Jr. looked good. Returning kicks. Averaged in 24.3 a pop. Returned three of them. Outstanding. Will Lutz went out there, made himself a field goal. Boom, boom, boom. Field goal, an extra point. Will Lutz is just fine. So those are the things to be proud of. Once again, the score really doesn't matter. Losing 17 to 13 to the Texans. You're not playing everyone. Some people are being held out for medical reasons. Some are just being held out for rest. The first couple of preseason games is your opportunity to see what you got on the roster and give guys the opportunity to do something. And for anyone that was watching Saturday's game against the Houston Texans may still be watching and waiting for something to happen with Ian Book and Traquan Smith. Woof. Ian Book. There's no other way of saying it. Looked bad. Looked like even a preseason game against the number twos of another the team was too much for him to handle. Now, he's only a second-year player, but he got to look better. He had his last drive was pretty good. His first two drives were awful. Overthrew wide receivers. Didn't go through his reads. 15-22 for 121 yards. Not terrible. Throw did throw the interception. And was sacked five times. To be fair to Ian Book, the offensive line after they pulled some of the guys. Looked poor the rest of the game. Trevor Penny has potential. Is going to be a starting tackle in this league. But that's going to be James Hurst starting at the start of the season. I think that's abundantly clear. They left Trevor in there to get reps. The run blocking is not the issue. The issue was guys using spin moves on him to get around him to pressure the quarterback. That's something that can be learned. If you're a Saints fan, you'll remember Teron Armstead struggled with that early on as well. Now, he quickly picked it up and then became a stalwart on the Saints offensive line. A lot of times, guys from the smaller schools have to have the time to adjust to that because they don't see that on their level of college. They're not going up against week-in, week-out NFL talent. So when they meet someone, it's usually an adjustment. Trevor struggled with that throughout Saturday night's game. They used those moves and they got right by him. But Book just did not look good. And it was a stark contrast to the Red Rifle, right? Because Andy Dalton started the game 5-for-5. Five 5-for-5. Five. Five five. 51 yards. 10.2 per reception. through the touchdown. Wasn't sacked. 148.8 rating. It's exactly what you want to see from your backup quarterback. That tells you he can put some points up on the board for you and keep the offense afloat if and when Jameis Winston has to miss time. So you saw that, and then you saw Ian Book. I'm not here to bash on Ian Book. He has limitations. They were there in college. He's a gutty kid. He's an athlete. He's a gamer. Those are all great attributes. That does not necessarily make you a starting quarterback in the National Football League. He's going to have to get better. And more than likely, you'll see the same scenario occur this coming week, or this week rather, when they're in Green Bay taking on the Packers in preseason game number two where Andy will start, probably the first series, and then they're going to say, Ian, get back out there. Let's see what you got. He's got to be better. Now, offensive line didn't do Ian Book any favors. We know, in particular, Trevor Penny, the rookie. Traquan Smith dropping passes as only Traquan Smith knows how to do, didn't help the second-year quarterback either. It's a very small window in a game when a young, inexperienced guy is trying to build up confidence. And if you're a fourth-year wide receiver, you should be depended on to be able to make a catch that helps get things moving that helps your quarterback. That helps your offense. Does anyone this morning believe that Trey Quan Smith is that guy? I understand he run blocks. It's great. But he's a wide receiver. Gets paid to catch the football. That drop was killer. Absolutely a killer. And what kind of impact did Traquan Smith make in the receiving game? The fourth-year veteran that the Saints made sure was a priority to bring back this year? Well, let's look. He was fifth on the team in receptions. One catch for 15 yards. That's it. Dwayne Washington, the running back and special team star, had more catches, more receiving yards, more targets. Kawan Baker, the young man out of South Alabama that they drafted in the sixth or seventh round a year ago, that spent all of last year on the practice squad. Kawan Baker had more catches, more receiving yards, and more targets or the same amount of target as Traquan Smith. Callaway was in there early, got a catch, 19 yards done. They're like, okay, we got, we, we know what we've got. Only targeted the one time. It was definitely a game plan to get other guys the ball, which I'm all about. That's what preseason in-game action is. You get to see how the guys line up in a game scenario. But Traquan is got to get better. He's got to get better. You're going to have to figure out how to get something out of him besides what you're getting, which is run blocking and a couple of catches a game. You have the opportunity to help your team out. And he doesn't. And he doesn't. All that said, offensive line at times suspect, wide receiving core was eh, Traquan Smith didn't do anyone any favors. The Saints also had four fumbles in this game. And look, you expect this in an early preseason game. Offsides, penalties, sloppiness on the line of scrimmage. You expect turnovers. You expect fumbles because it's the first game. The first game. They had four fumbles. They recovered two, lost two. Ian Book had two of those fumbles. Lost one, recovered one. Overthrew wide receivers. Like we're talking five, six, seven yards above the wide receiver. Like wide receiver open, throws it way too high. Some of the things with Ian Book that you saw in college, the mechanics, the tendencies, is something that you're going to have to fix, something that you're going to have to have him evolve with. Because no touchdowns and two interceptions, not going to get the job done. Saints fall 17-13 to to the Houston Texans in preseason action. We got to take a timeout here on RP3 and company, our first one. When we return, though, we will come back and we're going to have some reaction audio from the Saints from their first preseason game. That's all going to be coming up next right here on the game. 103-7 Lafayette, 104-1 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. There are
1: some hosts that talk like they know everything, but you don't have to worry about our guy, RP3. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. That's because he never knows what he's talking about. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Back to the show in the know. RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
2: Saints open up preseason with a loss to the Houston Texans. A lot of the starters did not play in this game. No Michael Thomas, no Alvin Kamara, no Jameis Winston, no DeMario Davis, and so forth. So it was a lot of guys trying to earn a spot on the 53-man roster or just trying to maybe earn a spot on the practice squad. There's some things to like. Chase Hines looked good. Chase Hansen rather looked good. Avery Smith looked good until the fumble. Trevor Penny looked good in run blocking and pass blocking. He got taken advantage of. And Ian Book had some mighty struggles. Red Rifle looked good. Five for five. Perfect drive for him. Got to make Saints fans feel a little bit better about their backup quarterback situation. And once again, it's preseason. First preseason game, you shake off the rusts. A lot of it is used for guys getting much-needed in-game reps. That way you can evaluate how far along are they and are, are they really ready to be part of the 53-man roster. Dennis Allen, first-year head coach of the Black and Gold had this to say overall. This is the opening statement he made following his team's first preseason game. So obviously,
3: first preseason game. Look, I saw a lot of things that I really liked out there in the game. Obviously, there's some things that we got to get cleaned up. Ball was on the ground too many times. Three turnovers in the game, especially one down there, you know, on the goal line that took some points off the board. So we've, we gotta, we got it. We got to get that that aspect cleaned up. But I was pleased with the way the first units went in there and played, offensively, ten-play drive for a touchdown, and then defensively, you know, we go three and out and get them off the field, and so uh, that was encouraging to see. So, look, we'll get back and take a look at the tape and uh, have a better evaluation, but uh, but there were some good things I saw tonight.
2: One of the good things that he saw, obviously, was the performance of. The red rifle, immensely efficient, perfect five for five on the Saints' first drive, which ended in a touchdown.
3: Yeah, I thought I thought he did a nice job, um, you know, moving us down the field. I thought he operated in the pocket well. I think it was five or five in, on that drive. I thought we did a couple of good things in the run game. Yeah, so, I, I yeah, I, I think Andy did a really good job of, you know, operating the offense. We kind of had a plan to get 10 to 15 plays, and then uh, – you know, getting the getting ten plays and a touchdown, we we felt like that we'd seen enough and we went on to the second phase.
2: So Andy looked good. He got a touchdown. It's great. But the rest of it was kind of a mixed bag, right? Including Abern Smith. And this is what DA had to say about their undrafted rookie running back out of Baylor.
3: Well, you can't put the ball on the ground. And and so um, that's a that's a huge negative when you when you do that. I will say this: I thought he looked explosive running the football, and I thought there was a couple of really good runs that he that he made. But it doesn't matter how many good things you do if you put the ball on the ground. It, it that's that's an issue.
2: Abram was accountable afterwards. Even took time to talk to the media afterwards, and he talked about he broke it down from his perspective what happened on the fumble.
4: Yeah, it was like a. You know, top-down, punch-out, I feel like I had really good protection of the ball. It's just the angle in which he punched the ball kind of just went straight through the body. So, like you said, I feel like I had really good protection, but at the same time, you know, I still can roll with the punches and avoid something like that.
2: Uh, look, he broke it down, then he held accountability. Yeah, it was a great play by them, but I, I got to hold on to the ball. That's what you want to hear from the rook. That's what you want to hear. You don't want to hear excuse-making. You don't want to hear him blame it on somebody else. You hear him break it down and say, hey, I got to do a better job. I would expect a lot more carries for him against the Packers. I just I think that's how it's going to be scripted. We didn't get to see Abram until, what, the second half of Saturday night. I would expect to see him more and get more carries against the Green Bay Packers. And he talked about what was it like for him as a rookie playing his first preseason game.
4: Yeah, no, that was a big relief. You know, um, at first, you're kind of getting out there, and it's like your first preseason, first NFL game for me. And, you know, I'm looking around. I'm like, wow, like, you know, all the hard work. I'm finally here, and this is what I'm doing. And, you know, the jitters came. But, you know, D-Wash and, and Tony Jones, they kind of just helped me. Like, hey, shake it. You know, your first big hit, first hit, whatever it might be. And just shake it, and that's exactly what I did. So, like you said, first big game, but it had a little bit of jitters, and it kind of gets all went away.
2: Abram Smith got over his game jitters and is looking to improve heading into the second preseason game, which will be in Green Bay. What about the other rook, Trevor Pinning? You know, the big fella had some moments, looked good in run blocking uh, schemes, looked good there, but also, you know what, got beat. Got 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 beat up by the pass rushers, and he gave his thoughts on his first game as a pro.
0: I mean, it was good to get out of here, play an actual NFL game. I mean, there's moments I, I thought it well. There's definitely there's moments I definitely need to clean up for sure. I mean, that comes with time and reps at it. So, you know, I'll go, go back on Monday, get over, watch the film, and learn from it.
2: He also admitted afterwards – that his first preseason game, he got you know. Look, there's no way around it. He got gassed.
0: It was good. I think a little. I got a little gassed there at the end, um, but that's expected. I mean, first game in since February. So, and even that, I was played a couple snaps. Only played like 20 snaps. So, really, first game since about December. So, it was good to be back out there again and get a full, basically full game in.
2: And the first round draft pick out of Northern Iowa also talked about. What was the thing that he could do better, the thing that he needs to do better moving forward?
0: I would say a lot of the pass game. I think the pass, uh, pass pro was definitely something I, th- I thought I could have done a little bit better at. Getting experience at that, I think, will definitely help a lot. And you know, Going back and watching film, uh, it'll definitely help.
2: So Trevor Penning and Abram Smith, those are rookies. They're making the adjustment to playing in the NFL, making the adjustment to go through their first preseason game. Ian Book is a second-year guy. He went through all of this last year, and he did not have a great game. Percentage, not bad, 15-22, to but no touchdowns, had the pick, was sacked five times, also had two fumbles, one lost. This is his assessment of the game.
5: Uh, It was a slow start, you know, but just felt good to be out there. Preseason, you're going to make mistakes. That's what Coach said, and he just wanted to see everybody fight. I thought we fought hard um, as an offense. Uh, When you make mistakes, it's about rebounding. You know, we ran the ball really, really well, in my opinion. You get rid of those turnovers that should never happen with QB center exchange, that's on me. And then, you know, the second pass, a little high, tip ball. That's just football. But that's the preseason, too. So we're going to get those fixed and get it working.
2: He also made sure to make it a point that not only himself but the team's got to finish got to be able to punch it in when you get in the red zone
5: definitely will be and it always is just to get points in the red zone uh we want we want seven points and uh we came up short a few times tonight when we got down there got to hang on to the ball me included for sure and um we we talked about that though with da that's how you lose games is by turning the ball over we talked about that last week in a team meeting um he showed a stat of when you lose a turnover battle you're got like an 80% chance to lose a game or something like that. So we got to fix that, me included.
2: We'll see how much playing time, how many reps Ian Book gets against Green Bay. I would expect probably the same amount. They're going to give him the opportunity to bounce back and prove that he deserves to be on this roster. I would not be surprised that Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael decide to only carry two quarterbacks on the roster. Really wouldn't. Jameis Winston, Andy Dalton. And he and Book will be put on the practice squad. I would not be surprised if that decision is made at the end of camp when they finalize the 53-man roster. we got to take a timeout. But before we do, want to tell you about our poll question of the day. What was the most disappointing performance in the Saints game? Who had the most disappointing performance in the Saints game, rather? Was it Ian Book, was it Trey Kwan Smith, or was it Trevor Penning? Right now, 43% of you say Ian Book. 38% say Treyquan Smith. 19% say Trevor Penning. JPK, the OD, says, how is Penning on this list? He graded as the highest rookie in the NFL. Imagine when he's protecting a QB1 that actually knows what he's doing. Can we all just agree that it's time to move on from Ian Book? Trade him to the breakers for two sacks of crawfish and a case of beer. He may have graded out that way, JPK the OD. But if you watch the game, he had some blunders. Ton on Twitter says, I don't know. Book and Smith both looked pretty bad. I'll say Smith, but it's close. I'll also say this. Saints should never draft a QB again, ever, because their last 15 drafted QBs have been bust. Yeah, ever since Archie, it's been not good in New Orleans. Hart says, Foot's going to have an aneurysm talking about Ian Book today. I got a gut feeling. You're not wrong. John Paul says, Ian got better and settled down. Penny made rookie mistakes. Smith, your job is on the line, buddy. You don't have the room for error that the others do. You know what, John Paul, I kind of agree with that. Abron Smith could also be included on the list. Two fumbles in your rookie premiere not so good. Good comments so far. Keep them coming. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Right now, though, we got to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to shift over to college. Raging Cajuns held a scrimmage over the weekend. We'll share it with you next. That's right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: Download the free The Game mobile app for Android and Apple devices. No matter where you are in the country, you can listen to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
2: The Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com can help you with your date night blues, fellas. That's right. Listen up. Because once you become a member of our rewards club, you'll have the opportunity to win excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lister Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou. That's right. Mouth-watering steaks, delicious sides, tremendous desserts, adult beverages, a cigar room, the whole nine yards. (coughs) Excuse me. You can also win a $50 gift certificate to Acadiana Bar and Grill, one of the best night spots in Acadiana. Or if you want something a little bit more casual, not to worry, $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. But you can only score those great prizes to help with your date night blues by becoming a member of the Game Clubhouse today at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free. It's simple So go sign up today. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. What was the most disappointing thing from Saturday's preseason game for the New Orleans Saints? Was it Ian Book? Or who had the most disappointing performance? Was it Ian Book? Was it Trevor Penning? Or was it Traquan Smith? Keep those votes coming. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Right now, though, it's time for us to switch over to college. College. Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns under first-year head coach. Coach Dez held a scrimmage over the weekend. And look, this is the type of event that coaches love. And here's why. Because a scrimmage is the closest thing that you're going to get in college to playing a game. It's actually against... Most of the time, starters or impact players. So you're not playing the JV team. It's just not shells or whatever. It's an actual scrimmage. So you get to learn a little bit more. Once again, in-game scenarios matter. They especially matter to coaches when they're trying to develop a team, trying to develop the right chemistry for the team and what's going to put a win up on the scoreboard every Saturday. Lots of good things stood out, some bad things stood out as well. Coach Dez talked about what really stood out to him from his perspective as the head coach from Saturday scrimmage.
6: It's hard to really comment on it, you know, before you before you kind of watch it, you know. Andre Jones, I think throughout the, the extent, like throughout the whole of practice, you know, all eight of them, he's done a really good job. And today he's flying around out there playing really well. You know, defensively, those guys fly around, man, they're all over. Um, offensively, you know, MJ made a couple nice plays in the past game. So good to have Chris Smith back in the middle running it through there. You know, I thought the running backs played well, too. You know, it's it's hard to really go in there at before you really get to watch it. So I'd like to probably watch it before I really kind of came back with an answer like that.
2: And that's a classic coach thing to say, (laughs) because I got to break down the tape so I can really know who screwed up and who needs to uh, get a chewing and who needs uh, some extra work this coming week. That's what that means. That's exactly what that means. But you mentioned, he mentioned Andre Jones going to be one of the anchors on that side of the football everywhere. And those guys were everywhere. Does that mean that the defense is ahead of the raging Cajun offense?
6: No, I mean, I know that's the way everybody kind of thinks a little bit, but, you know, really the way that that college football works now, you have so much more. It's not like it's just, you know, you're there for spring practice, you go home, and then you come back for fall camp. I mean, you know, we we have our players, they they – We've, we have a certain amount of time we can meet with them, two hours a week in the summer we get to meet with them. They go out, they run their own practices, which obviously is not to the same level, but it's, it's pretty close with the leadership we have. So, you know, I mean, people say that, but we've got guys that have been here for a while on offense. You know, I think defensively people probably expect it a little bit, but for us, you know, I mean, we, we expect the offense to, to pick it up and keep it rolling where we've been. So, you know, I mean, we don't expect it to be that way. Um, you know, you certainly hope the defense can carry on the standard, and I expect them to do you know, play the way we've been playing up to the standard we have, which always helps a young offense if you do struggle. a little,
2: That side of the football, they've had some injuries coming out of the offseason and during camp, and Coach Dez gave us an update about the status of the injuries on the defensive side of the football.
6: So Zion's been in and out. We kind of manage him a little bit day to day. We kind of decide what we're going to let him do. Um, he's practiced, I mean, great. He has been really good. We just, we don't want to overload him. You know, a lot of his stuff is a little bit overuse, kind of injuries, you know, just some just kind of worn down a little bit over the course of time. So we're going to try to get him completely healthy, get him to the show, and we kind of get him in and out of there. Certain days, certain periods that we use him, certain periods we hold him. He went, had a really good day yesterday. Went, You know, got him a lot of work, so he wasn't in there today. Trey, you know, Trey has a a hamstring strain, um, so he'll be out, you know, hopefully, you know, we're really hopeful we'll have him back for this first game, you know, so we're going to do everything we can to get him back, but he's at a great camp. So, you know, getting him back will certainly be something that, you know, we're going to, his job right now is to get healthy and get back in.
2: Talking about a couple of former Catholic Hive New Iberia stars there. Zion Hill and Trey Emos, who line up on the defensive side of the football. If you were paying attention over the weekend – You got to see those two young men in particular talk to a former particular head coach from LSU. Ed Orgeron was in the house for the Raging Cajuns scrimmage on Saturday. And Coach Dez talked about having the former national championship winning coach with the Tigers being at practice.
6: He just wanted to come by and come check it out. You know, Coach O has been really good. You know, he came by this spring and spent some time with us this spring. And I sat down and spent a lot of time with him. You know, just kind of talking about his experiences and the things that the things he he did that he really liked, the things he did that he would do differently. Kind of, you know, his take on it. You know, a guy that's won a national championship um, is someone that I'm going to sit down and, and spend some time with and, and see, you know, what I can take from him. But yeah, you know, his son Parker is here with us in a quality control role, and Parker is. You know, he's a really good young coach. Um, we have a phenomenal support staff. Parker is certainly one of them that, you know, he's here every day and he adds value to our program and he helps us tremendously. And, um, you know, I'm uh, I'm certainly all about anybody that's been, you know, been in the game as long as Coach O that wants to come by and spend some time with us, I'll, I will never turn that down.
2: What about the scrimmages? What about – Do the scrimmages, because you're going up against competition, because you can actually replicate in-game scenarios better than you can in practice, do scrimmages mean more than your normal practices?
6: Probably in certain positions, right? Like um, running back a little bit, right? You know, taking the contact, getting to, you know, can he handle the contact, get to the ground, you know, going to the ground, keeping the ball, pressing runs, deciding when, To stick it in there when to get go for more and then your positions i think that that are signal callers right quarterback there's no one out there right they've got to run the show they've got to do all they've got to you know get everybody lined up they've got to set protections they got to do all this stuff safety Right. They've got to adjust out formations, make sure that the calls are, you know, everyone on the same page on both sides of the field. Linebacker gotta make sure the front's right. So I think the signal callers and, and and some of those positions like running back, I do think it makes a little bit more difference. A little bit more impact. You know, you kind of weigh it maybe a little more heavily. For most of them, I don't think it is. I think it's a total body of work over the course of a of an entire, you know, fall camp that it kind of dictates where you land.
2: And one more final thought from Raging Cajun's first uh raging cajuns not first scrimmage their their scrimmage on saturday what about the quarterbacks it's a two-man race right how'd they fare from
6: going play to play and kind of calling and scripting it it was really pretty good you know guys made some good plays through the air you know had some good runs on the ground scrambled to extend plays you know those guys are are really athletic did a really good job extending plays and making them down the field so you know i was pleased with the way that they played just watching it live Um, certainly you got to go into the the technique and the eye progressions and are they doing it the right way you, you can't get caught up like in the result a completion's a completion you know in a game maybe but as you're kind of getting to that point you want guys to process the way they need to process it. because at some point you'll get fooled if you're skipping steps
2: along the way so there you go can't be skipping steps so once again some good some bad trying to figure out how this offense is going to look, how much difference is going to be compared to what we've seen under former head coach Billy Napier, who's now at Florida. Things are getting interesting. It's August 15th. Labor Day weekend is the start of high school and college football season. It will be here in no time in the week after that, NFL. Whew. It'll fly by. we got to take a timeout. Hour number one's flown by. We'll wrap it up. Give you an update on the poll question of the day. That's all coming up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. <music> oh, the honorville Fire Department is hosting a black pot cook-off on Saturday, September the 10th. The cooking's going to begin at 8 a.m., and the eating's going to start at noon at the Flower Auditorium in Arnaville There's going to be plenty of live music, including Gerald Grunig and Gentile Zydeco taking the stage, Dustin Sonier, and Sweet Cecilia. For more information about the Black Pot Cook-Off, simply visit Arnavillefire.org. That's Arnavillefire.org. Check in on the poll question of the day. We asked you who had the most disappointing performance in Saturday's preseason game for the New Orleans Saints right now leading the vote 53% goes to Ian book 34% goes to Treyquan Smith 13% to Trevor pinning keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter just make sure you keep it clean for the kids don't get crazy with it that's going to do it for our number one Want to get those phone calls in? Want to react to Saints? Want to react to Raging Cajuns? Want to talk a little Houston Astros? We can do it all. Start it off next hour on RP3 and Company. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
0: Oh, yeah.
5: Oh,
0: yeah. Everything, everything,
1: everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as
2: RP3. Uh, Good morning. Welcome back to our number two of RP3 and company. First hour in the book. Spent majority of it recapping New Orleans Saints. First preseason game, a 17-13 loss to the Houston Texans on Saturday night. We heard from Coach Dennis Allen. We heard from Ian Book, Trevor Penning, Abram Smith, some of the gentlemen Responsible for some of the good things in the game and some of the bad things in the game. We also touched on Raging Cajuns scrimmage. Heard from Coach Dez as well. We're going to get to McNeese's scrimmage on Saturday. That'll be later on in today's show. So stay tuned for that. We're going to recap that for you as well. here from Coach Gary Golf. And we're going to get to the Houston Astros sweeping the Oakland Athletics this hour as well. And in 30 minutes from right now, we're going to bring on Glenn Gilba, the award-winning columnist from Outkick.com. His latest book is about the legend, the GOAT, Skip Burtman, so you're going to have to stay tuned for that. Hotline is open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. Saints lose 17-13. Ian Book did look better as the game progressed, but too many overthrows, like five, six yards above wide receiver's heads. Not going through his reads properly. Some of the same things that he had at Notre Dame, where he used his athleticism and his guttiness to win games, is the same thing that you're seeing now. It's the same thing I saw at the Senior Bowl. It's the same thing I saw last year, and you're seeing now. The ceiling's not high on Ian Book. Can he get better? Sure. Will he get better? I don't know. Maybe. And once again, doesn't have all the starters in there. Doesn't have Alvin Kamara. Doesn't have Michael Thomas. Doesn't have Jarvis Landry. I get it. But when you get your opportunity during the preseason, you got to ball out. You got to shine. Ian Book didn't do that. Does offensive line help him? No. Trevor Penning looked good for a lot of the game, but when he looked bad, he looked really bad. He's got to work on pass protection. Can't be having him and Pondwater on the same side of the offensive line. That's going to spell doom for whatever poor soul is back there lining up at quarterback. But he's a rook. And we knew this, and this was one of the things, him coming out of Northern Iowa that you saw and you said, hey, he's got to work on the pass protection. (laughs) Because he wasn't facing off against the speed, the strength that he's going to be facing every single Sunday in the NFL playing at that level of college football. He just wasn't. Teron Armstead had the same issue early on in his career, if you remember. So it can be fixed. Game experience like what he went through on Saturday will help him in his development, plus having Doug Marone and others there on staff to work with him and point out, hey, this is what you're doing. Hey, this is how you can recover. That's the biggest thing for offensive line making the transition, offensive linemen making the transition from college to the pros is not run blocking. That's not the issue. The issue is adjusting to the speed and the moves of pass rushers in the NFL. Because it's different. It's just different. That's the biggest thing. So Trevor Penning had a so-so game. Abram Smith looked really good until he had the fumbles. He's got to clean that up if he wants to make a spot on the uh, 53-man roster. And Ian Book... Did not look great. Traquan Smith looked bad as always. That's our poll question of the day. Who had the most disappointing performance in Saturday's preseason loss for the New Orleans Saints? Go vote. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Right now, let's head out to the game hotline. Welcome on, Jamie. Jamie? Jamie? Good morning. How are you, sir? Good morning, Mr. Third. I'm doing all right. How are y'all? I'm doing outstanding.
7: What's on your mind? That's that's always a plus. Look, man, I'm not going to lie to you. Right now, I'm stuck behind Cesar Ruiz and his uh, transportation vehicle of choice. Uh, That would be a garbage
2: truck. Um,
7: He actually looks pretty
2: good, the little bit he played on Saturday, by the way.
7: Oh, I, I was about to say, I'm not going to lie to y'all. I did not watch a single snap because I don't watch preseason, but uh, I saw some of the lowlights, and my goodness, I understand it's like guys fighting for just a, a position on the, the roster. But holy cow. Like, there were some good things, and I know it's only the first preseason game, but, whoa, there were some bad things, too. So if I have to vote on one of the three you gave me, I guess I'll go with uh, Traquan Smith because in book he, he's still only a year or two. He's a sophomore.
8: He's he, he, he's not
7: going to be great. We all know he's not going to be great, but there's still room for improvement. Traquan Smith has been what? Is this his third season? Fourth season? This
2: is his fourth season now.
7: Yeah, th- he has no excuse anymore. Like at this point, you got to. Well, I can't say that on the air, but you you got to do something. All right. So that's why I'm going to go with Smith. And, uh, you know, you guys have fun watching preseason. I'll wait till it counts.
2: Jamie, thank you. Hope you have a tremendous day at school with all the kiddos, bud.
7: Appreciate it. Y'all have a good one.
2: Like, look, once again, it's preseason. That we know. Not everyone played. And Ian Book is only a second-year player. Trevor Penning is a rookie abram smith is an undrafted rookie right so these are young players traquan smith is entering year number four year number four he's got to he's got to play better like like you're paying a guy to be a veteran wide receiver because he run blocks he's got to bring something else to the table man he's got to bring something else to the table Let's head back out to the hotline. Welcome on, Martin, to the show. Martin, I figured after what happened over the weekend, you'd be calling. What's on your mind, brother? I can guess, but I'm going to go ahead and just let you have the floor. How about that?
8: Ah, 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 ah. Man, what a glorious, stupendous, marvelous, amazing Monday morning this is. Not only did them... Yankees lose to a last-place team. They lost to a last-place team that quite possibly could have the worst pitching staff in all of baseball right now. Also, let's not forget that one of our pitchers can't ride a bicycle to save his life. <laughs> so you have that going on. I mean, I contacted a few of my people, and I sent uh, Chris Sale a few uh a few packs of training wheels to put on his bicycle that maybe he needs to start from square run. But anyway, uh, I'm uh, I'm guessing y'all didn't hear from Paul this morning because he's probably drawing away his tears. Because uh, like I told him, y'all might have done good the first half, but the second half, y'all going to choke like the Yankees always do. They're not winning a World Series. They'll make the playoffs just like my Cowboys will make the playoffs and they'll lose in the first round. He might as well be a Cowboys fan. But I'm going a, I'm to a leave him on this note. If I was a Yankees fan like he is, I'd be shaking in my LeBrons because also he also supports LeBron. So, I mean, the man's delusional. Uh, he, ne- he don't support nobody good. But anyway, I tried to warn him, and I'm going to continue to try to give him fair warning. But what a glorious, glorious day it is. And go Red Sox.
2: Thank you for the phone call, Martin. If only your Red Sox could play the Yankees the rest of the way. (laughs) Because the Red Sox look awful until they play the Yankees, and then all of a sudden they look good again. Even with Chris Sale back on the IL again. (laughs) Let's talk a little baseball. Since Martin brought it up. Alex Bregman. We talked about him. Seemingly having turned a corner about a month ago. It started to happen for him. It started to kind of, he started to wake up in the play, uh, uh, when he was inside the batter's box. He just started, those balls that he was hitting right at the shortstop or right at the second baseman were now going through or actually hitting it into the alleys. Astros win yesterday. Six to three. Bregman homers Christian Javier went strong in this ball game they complete the sweep of the Oakland Athletics and as they maintain their position as the team with the best record in the American League Javier got his seventh win of the season Astros start off strong right they set the tone right off the bat. Bregman hits the two-run blast there in the first. Then the Stros add two more in the second when Altuve doubles to deep center, bringing in two. Then they add a RBI single in the sixth, and then Bregman doubles to right, to deep right in the seventh, scoring Jeremy Pena. That builds up a six-nothing lead. The A's played a couple of runs there in the eighth and the ninth to make it closer than it was. But a 6-3 victory for the Strows. Bregman, two for four with a run scored, three ribbies. His batting average is now up to two fifty-eight. I I keep asking when we have our Astros experts on, if Breggs can get like to two sixty-five. Is that going to be enough? And they all say yes. He's at 258. He is trending in the direction of getting back to being a 270, possibly even a 275 hitter by the time the regular season wraps up and they enter the postseason. They need Bregman's bat. They need Bregman's swag if they want to make a run. Bregs continues to impress Altuve got himself a hit Jeremy Pena scored a run Alvarez got himself a hit Tucker who had a monster game on Saturday wraps up the weekend going one for four with a run scored as well and Vasquez three for four three for four with an RBI and a run scored and then, of course, Javier, who, let's be honest, has been up and down. Good, very good outing for Christian. Six innings, only one hit, no earned runs. Did walk three, struck out six. A quality start for him. Naris comes in, gives them a clean inning. Smith comes in, not so clean, three hits and a run run being a home run. Montero comes in, gives up a couple of runs in only a third of an inning, but they brought Presley in to get the save his 23rd of the year as the Strohs pick up the victory. And when you look at the standings now, they increase their cushion even more so because as Martin alluded to, his Red Sox, who are the last place team in the American League East, who are still two games below 500 and 15 and a half games behind the New York Yankees in the AOE standings, took the series from the Yanks. Yankees are 2-8 and eight in their last 10. They have been awful since the All-Star break. Awful. I don't know what in the heck has happened to the New York Yankees, the pinstripers, but they have looked terrible since the All-Star break. They're 72-43 and 43, still because of the great first half they had. But you look at the standings, and the Astros are now 75-41. and 41. That cushion between them and the Yankees has increased for home field advantage throughout the American League playoffs. Then you look at the wild card standings. The Guardians, the Twins, and the White Sox are just going to duel it out the rest of the way in the AL Central. Guardians currently have that cushion lead. They currently lead the division. But you look at the wild card. Blue Jays still sit atop, but their margin over the Seattle Mariners is not by much. Blue Jays Mariners look like they're going to be headed to be wild card teams. That's going to leave that third and final spot up for grabs. Right now, it's Tampa Bays. They hold a game-and-a-half lead over the Baltimore Orioles, but then the Twins and the White Sox are right there, and even Martin's Red Sox, because they've been playing better of late. They just need to play the Yankees constantly. They're now only four-and-a-half games out of the wild card. Over in the National League, the Braves reach the 70-win plateau after a weekend sweep. They're up by six games for the top wild-card spot. Padres, despite getting the bad news about Fernando Tatis Jr. being suspended for 80 games for PED use. They got themselves a series victory. They're firmly entrenched as the number two team in the NL for the wild-card Phillies. Who are seven and three in their last ten, just like the Braves, they're right there in the third spot with the Brewers right behind them and the Giants in contention. So pennant races and wild card spots are heating up. But the Astros, whew, Stro's look really good. They look like they're the best team in the American League for sure. Once again, seventy-five and forty-one now on the season. They have the second-most wins, tied for the second-most wins in Major League Baseball with the New York Mets, who are 75-40. and 40. The Dodgers are 79-34 and 34 overall. And the Strohs, no time to rest. No time to rest in this season that was directly impacted by the lockout. There'll be no time. They're going to get right to it. No rest, no rest for the Houston Astros. As after they wrapped up their game yesterday, they headed up to Chi-Town. That's right, they're going to the south side, taking on the White Sox. You can listen to that game live right here on the game tonight. 7-10, first pitch, Astros at the White Sox. First pitch, 7-10. Good start to hour number two. Good phone calls as well. Keep those coming if you'd like. Hotline is open 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. you listen to RP3 and Company right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: Want to join in the discussion with RP3? Then just give us a call on the hotline. You
8: know the number. 24 Niner, five, six, seven, eight. I can't hear you. You're trailing off. And did I catch a niner in there? Were you calling from a
1: walkie talkie? No need to be embarrassed. Just call us at 337 706 0111. Back to more RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
2: The game, 103.7 Lafayette and 1041 Lakes. Charles wants to hook you up with our latest Astros weekend getaway. The Astros are red hot. Got the best record in the American League. And look, they're going to be taking on one of the teams fighting for one of those wild card spots, the Baltimore Orioles. That's coming up later this month. And we can have you be at Saturday, August twenty seventh tilt between the O's and the Strohs. But you got to register in the game clubhouse. Go visit 103.7thegame.com. Or 1041 thegame.com today. Become a member of our clubhouse. It's easy, it's simple. We even have a tutorial video to show you how to get the job done. Once you do that, you'll have the opportunity to be able to win four tickets to the game between the O's and the Strohs, a tour of Minute Maid Ballpark, <clears throat> and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Once again, four tickets. Between the O's and the Stros, a tour of Minute Maid Ballpark, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. Astro weekend getaways are powered by Butcher AC, La Meridian Houston downtown, and The Game, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. But you can only win it by becoming a member of our clubhouse. So go sign up today at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. check in on the poll question of the day while we have a few minutes to spare here. About five minutes or five and a half minutes from right now, Glenn Gilbo, the award-winning columnist from Outkick.com, will join us. He has his book done on the legend, the GOAT, Skip Bertman. You're not going to want to miss that conversation that's coming up. We'll also get his thoughts on Brian Kelly taking over and what the expectations should be for the LSU football team coming up this season. Poll question of the day. Who had the most disappointing performance in the Saints' preseason loss to the Houston Texans on Saturday? 56% of you say Ian Book. 31% say Traquan Smith. 13% say Trevor Penning. Some of y'all have also mentioned Abram Smith. Darren, number one raging Cajun fan of RP3 and company, has brought up about pinning. Imagine him against starters like Aaron Donald and JJ Watt. Yeah, yeah, you Think about that. Once again, the run is not the issue. Guys that come from smaller programs, their biggest adjustment from college to the NFL is pass protection. It's always their biggest hurdle, the thing that they struggle the most with. Trevor's got to work on that. I've said this before. It's going to be a battle during camp, but James Hurst is going to win the left tackle job to start off the season, and they're going to push Trevor Penning to be better. Brad on Twitter says, only watched the first team units and they looked good. Welcome back, Will Lutz. I'm telling you, We haven't talked enough about that. We've been so focused on wide receiver or quarterback or running back or whatever. Let me tell you something. The fact that Will Lutz is going to be healthy, you had a healthy Will Lutz last year. You win two more games, you make the playoffs. He's worth that alone. Back to Brad's comment. Welcome back, Will Lutz. I did see some highlights, or you could say lowlights from books. I guess he gets my vote. Doug says, kind of feel sorry for a guy who embarrassed himself on national TV. Hashtag close the book. Look at Doug with the hashtags. Dak Cajun says, how's Ian Book winning this poll when his expectations are low to start with? Or is it just maybe me who doesn't have expectations for Book? I agree with Dak Cajun. I do not have high expectations for Ian Book. I just don't see it. I could be proven wrong. I'm proven wrong every day by my wife, (laughs) but I'm proven wrong all the time. Just what I saw from Ian in college, what I saw from Ian at the senior bowl practices and in the game, gutty kid is an athlete, has some ability, has some talent. Is he a starting quarterback in the National Football League? I say no. Not everyone can be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Doesn't mean that I hate him. Doesn't mean I'll wish harm on his family. Doesn't mean that I want people to talk bad about his mama. It's just that, hey, he's probably a practice squad quarterback and at best a third string. And I firmly believe the Saints are probably going to carry two quarterbacks on the roster, Winston and Andy Dalton, and probably will stash Ian Book on the practice squad. Ralph comes in with the oh, so wildly effective gif. Ian Book, dot, 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 you've been chopped, is the gif that he shares. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Right now, though, we got to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to shift the focus to talk LSU baseball and the little football with our friend from outkick.com, Glenn Gilbo. He has a new book out. We're going to talk about it. That's next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the LSU Tigers in Southwest Louisiana.
2: Hey, everyone make sure to be careful out there today. Last week, everyone started returning back to school, right? It was all staggered. Some schools split it up. Some schools went early in the week. Others started late in the week. My daughter, Hattie, she started third grade but didn't go until Friday because they took half the students on Thursday and the other half on Friday. So just a friendly reminder, be safe out there during your morning commute remember little ones are on the road precious cargo if you will is out there school buses are out there so be patient don't allow yourself to get frustrated we're all in this together getting to work in school these days also have a great day baby girl that goes out to my daughter who's on her way to Grand Coteau Elementary, third grade. It has arrived. Right now, it's time for us to welcome on our first guest of the week and of today's show. No better way to start off the week, let me tell you. An award-winning columnist, reporter, a gentleman who was never afraid and never is afraid to tell it like it is. He's going to write things that you're not going to like. He's going to say things that you don't may agree with, but they're the truth. And they have to be said. One of the old guards of sports journalism here in the state of Louisiana. He has a new book, Everything Matters in Baseball, the Skip Bertman story. It's now on sale. We welcome back to the show my old friend, the award-winning columnist reporter from Outkick.com, Glenn Gilbo. Glenn, good morning to you, brother. How are you, bud? Good morning, Ray. Appreciate the uh, intro. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, bud. I'm doing great. So let's get yeah. right to us. I know that this book has been a passion project of yours for quite a while. Uh, just Let's start there. How long had you been working on this book from the, the genesis when you got the idea to start doing it through the interview process to now? How long did it take?
9: Well, I was the... Uh, I was the second writer chosen. Um, I, I got in on it in, uh, 2018, uh, Leo Honeycutt had, had done a book that Skip changed his mind about, but I I still use a lot of Leo's book draft to, uh, to write my book, but it, it, you know, it took a good, uh, uh, three years, more than more than three years to, to finish. And, um, you know, while I had a full-time job and during COVID and stuff, so uh, it was it was difficult. But it was it was uh, once I was able to have the time to go down the, the rabbit hole, it was it was a lot of fun because Skip's players obviously love to talk about Skip and their time at LSU, which was which was a great time, uh, obviously. So it was uh, it was a lot of fun. It, it took a lot of work, but it was a lot of fun.
2: You obviously covered Skip back in the day when he was a skipper. You've talked to him. You've interviewed him over the years. So this wasn't anything new for you. But what did you learn that was new that maybe you uh, had no idea about or maybe needed to be reminded about during the process of writing, putting together this book?
9: Well, um, you know, the. Uh, I mean, I knew the players were close, but uh, there's really a a brotherhood of those of those players that uh, really came through in the uh, in the interviews e- even the players that that didn't play together you know they, they knew of one another and you know there was always a, a torch passed among the players and I mean when you when you win 10, uh, five national championships in 10 years uh, and go to Omaha uh, you know 15 times, any LSU player that played for Skip, I mean, the worst was they went to Omaha and didn't win at all. You know, <laughs> that, that was like the worst career. So, so those guys just really, really stuck together, and and um, I, I think that was the main thing—just the, the band of brothers mentality of, of the kids who played for Skip.
2: Why do you think they had that band of brothers mentality? Obviously, it came from Skip somehow—the culture that he built there. You know what, what was the thing that you found in your research and just from covering, what what, what was the thing that made Skip so good? I, was it building that culture and getting all these guys to buy in and get all these future Major League Baseball players to buy in and play for him and play there at LSU?
9: I, I think it was Skip's knowledge of the game because you know a lot of a lot of kids that come out of high school they're a star player they think they think they know the game. But it was amazing how many players would talk about how Skip could predict the future in a game. You know, like this guy's going to hit a ground ball to second base. Or, or this guy's going to hit a home run right here. And, I mean, Todd Walker brought that up. And McDonald brought that up. Uh, you know, he could just predict how things were going to happen. And so players just looked at him as some kind of, uh, you know, Indian doctor. You know, a, a guru. Because he just his knowledge of the game was uncanny, and the, and the players to a man always felt like they were going to win because they felt they had a better dugout because they had Skip in the dugout and the other teams didn't. That was uh, that came through and through uh, in interviews I did, and and you know he also just knew how to teach guys how to pitch. You know even guys who could pitch on arrival, like Rick Green the great closer you know they learned so much about pitching from skip and um and skip could also make guys who were kind of average pitchers he could make them he could teach them where to throw the ball at the exact spot and when and when to get people out
2: he, he's also quite funny now <laughs> I, I guess my question is i have only known skip or dealt with skip Post retirement, or, or, or post retirement as a baseball coach, it, it dealt with him when he was an athletic director. Glenn, the the, the humor uh, that, that that's been key. That, that a lot oh, of yeah. his former players talk about that.
9: Oh yeah, that's that's I forgot to mention that that that's a huge part of it because um, you know Skip could be a lot like Nick Saban. You know he was a, ta- a taskmaster, particularly early in his career, but but he always made sure. The, the teams had fun. I mean, all those guys had fun because most of the time, you know, you go to these reunions or you interview these guys, and they're telling stories. Usually, not about how hard they worked, but but you know about you know Skip did this or Skip did that. You know, so and and um, you know they they definitely had fun, and and that was that was one thing uh, Skip stressed. And you know they all they all have their stories. Uh, you know, baseball kind of lends itself to talking and stories more than other sports. Um, but Skip was the best at that. I mean, the, the, the most fun was covering Skip in Omaha because, I mean, the pressure was off for the most part once he got to Omaha, and their practices were some of the most casual practices you, you would imagine of a five-time national champion yeah you, you know you had media guys in the outfield shagging fly balls skip wasn't even paying attention he's in the dugout telling stories you know so they, they had a lot of fun there's no question about it
2: we're talking with glenn gilbo he's a award-winning columnist from outkick.com he's also written a new book about the legend the goat skip Bertman. everything matters in baseball the skip Bertman story it's now on sale I want to talk about what he was able to accomplish. We look at the national titles, and they're significant. I'm not taking away from that. But I think what's even more, I, I, for me, from a historical perspective, what's more important, Glenn, is the fact that baseball with Skip at LSU kind of shifted from primarily being dominated by the West Coast, in particular USC, to once Skip leads LSU to prominence, you still had Texas, but then it became dominated by the sec and teams from the southeastern part of the country. I think that's even more significant than the five national championships.
9: Yeah, there's no question about it. He, uh, you know, he made baseball more important statewide. You know, you saw other programs starting to get better throughout the state. I mean, there's, traditionally very good baseball programs at even the small schools in Louisiana, like Louisiana tech and, and Nichols. Now UNO had gone to the world series before LSU, but, and Tulane was a, was a threat, but but Tulane went to Omaha twice, uh, as skip ended his coaching career. And obviously the Cajuns, UL, uh, went the same year. Skip went, uh, last year in 2000. Um, so that was that was really something, and and um, yeah, the um, really the first SEC power was Mississippi State, and then but they never won the national championship until last year, uh, year before last, and and uh, you know Skip really made the SEC a power, and that you had teams follow him. But uh, you know it, it's it's funny though, no coach has won more than two national titles since Skip won his fifth in in two thousand. Uh, which is also a testament to to his uh, talent, I think. But, uh, yeah, the SEC was, you know, when Skip was first starting to go to Omaha, it was definitely Stanford and USC and the the West Coast teams, and the SEC eventually replaced all that big time.
2: What do you think his lasting legacy is, if you had to kind of just summarize it into one thing? What would be the one thing – that you think Skip's gonna be remembered for and what's the one thing you think he wants to be remembered for?
9: Well I think uh you know Skip Skip still has the record for, for best NCAA postseason winning percentage. Um he uh I think he's he should be remembered as the greatest LSU athletic department employee of all time because he won five national championships. No other coach has come close to that while at LSU. And he also hired as, as athletic director. That's, there's another, you know, there's a whole section of the book about him as athletic director. He was a great athletic director. He hired four coaches who won national championships. So that's nine national championships he was responsible for. That's, you know, that's greater than any uh, anyone else that ever worked at LSU. So I think that's a lot of his his legacy and and just his his consistency. You know, LSU's won uh, several national championships in in football, but the the same coach has never won two. You know, uh, and and they've always left soon after. And the football program historically has been kind of up and down. Um, whereas as has basketball, but baseball was just, was just so consistent from 1986 to, uh, to 2001 under skip. It was, I mean, it's, it was what you could depend on at LSU. I just remember, you know, being a sports writer in the eighties and nineties and, you know, the football team had six straight losing seasons over that span. The basketball team had some bad years in Dale Brown's late part of his tenure. And the baseball team was the only thing winning. You know that was the only thing worth covering, uh, or, or that would make it to postseason. So he he was just the uh, the 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 program to depend upon at, at LSU. I think that was the greatest thing about him.
2: And I remember living in New Orleans and then living outside of Baton Rouge during that time in the late '80s, early '90s, Glenn. And I I I, rem- I tell people this now today, and they don't believe me. Younger people, I go. I remember being in Baton Rouge, and the the thing that mattered the most to us kids in that area was the LSU baseball team. I I, I yeah. can't I can't remember a kid caring about the LSU football team at that time. Baseball team? Well, was, oh yeah,
9: yeah. Oh yeah. Well, it, they they cared about football, but it wasn't doing well. Right. Um, and the uh, you know, the trips to Omaha just just became a rite of summer. I mean, they were just there all the time. You could you could plan your vacations around it, you know, and and really Skip's last game was in was in two thousand one, but and and you know they won another champ, championship under Paul Maneri in, in two thousand nine, and they've been to Omaha many times since Smoke Laval, who replaced Skip, went to Omaha twice. But um, you know the uh, they even though he he left in in two thousand one, I would say LSU baseball is still from fan interest and fan intensity and fan conversation, I would still say it's the number two sport really uh, at, at LSU behind football because basketball has been up and down. And and I would say statewide it's right under the Saint, Saints and LSU uh, tied for first. And I would say LSU baseball is second. I mean, uh, I would say more so than the Pelicans. Pelicans are kind of a local team only. Um, the, uh, LSU always been statewide and, and you can still feel that, uh, around the state. It's, it's still that big of a sport. And that, that's all because of Skip, because, you know, when he, when he started at LSU, it was, uh, it was an intramural sport for the most part.
2: Glenn, if you can just hold on just for a few minutes, brother, I got to take a quick timeout. When you come back, uh, I want to uh, tell the folks where they can go to get the book and then ask you a couple of questions about Brian Kelly, if you don't mind, brother. Sure. Outstanding. We're talking with Glenn Gilbo, award-winning columnist from outkick.com. He's got his latest book, it's about the goat. Everything matters in baseball the Skip Bertman story. We're going to talk more about that and we're also going to get his thoughts about Brian Kelly gearing up for his first season at the helm of the LSU football program that's coming up next right here on the Game 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Glenn Gilbo from Outkick.com rejoins us here on RP3 and Company. All right, bud, before we tell the people where they can go to get the book, I want to get your thoughts on Brian Kelly gearing up for his first season at the helm. Uh, just real quick, what do you think the expectations should be for his first season at the helm of the Bayou Bengals?
9: Well, that's a good question, what what the expectations should be because uh, LSU fans tend to uh, you know expect too much, um, and I, I would say just based on the roster. I mean, I think Kelly's a great hire, uh, and eventually he'll be a national championship contender. But it's not going to happen this year or next year. I don't feel like because of the because of the roster he, <clears throat> he inherited and just a lot of the problems he inherited. Um, unlike his two predecessors, you know, Les and Ed inherited much better programs uh, than than he did. So I think you shouldn't shouldn't expect more than about eight or nine wins I, w- I would think nine wins would be the top uh, and eight wins would be uh, I think a great season for him and it would be better than than the last two seasons you know five wins and, and six wins so um, you know and there's so many questions you know I don't, I don't think there's a good quarterback there yet I mean you may have one de- will have one develop into one sooner or later but I you know, there's nobody you can really say, "Oh, this guy's going to be good." Same thing at tailback, uh, offensive line. It's got some questions. so does the secondary. I mean, uh, defensive line looks really good, but uh, and and the receivers look really good. But that that's about it. So, but you're definitely going to see LSU play the game better. You know, they'll they'll be more coordinated uh, because of the better coordinators Brian Kelly hired. You know, they'll they'll get to the to the uh, Play with a play. You know they'll get to the snap with a play. Uh, They'll just look better. But um, you know I don't. I don't think they're going to be a a contender this year, though.
2: All right, Glenn. Quickly (laughs) tell the people where they can go to buy your book about uh, Skip Bertman. Where they can go? What outlets and what websites they can go to get everything matters in baseball? The Skip Bertman story.
9: Well, it's the Acadian House Publishing Company right there in uh, in Lafayette, Uh, Acadian House dot com slash sports and uh you'll see the cover of the book pop up uh katie and house.com and you can you can order it right there it's it's, it's just over 200 pages 30 dollars and um it's um you know it's a quick read because it's uh it's kind of short but uh nice picture sections and uh and listings and bibliographies and all the players who, who played for Skip is in there, too. But, uh, yeah, it's at uh, AcadianHouse.com.
2: Glenn, appreciate your time, as always. Brother, best of luck with the book, and we'll talk to you soon.
9: Okay. Thank you. Appreciate it.
2: That's Glenn Gilbo from Outkick.com and also author of the latest book on Skip Burtman. That's how we wrap up our number two, hour number three. We're going to lead it off with Corey Diaz from the Daily Advertiser. We're talking Raging Cajuns fall camp. That's next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
0: Oh,
10: yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything going to be all right this
4: morning.
1: Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
2: Welcome back to RP3 and Company right here on The Game. 103.7 Lafayette, one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Good show so far today. Great way to start off the week. Took plenty of good phone calls. We've talked a lot about the NFL preseason, in particular the Saints, opening up preseason schedule with a loss against the Houston Texans. That is our poll question of the day. Who, who had the most disappointing performance Saturday night in the Saints' preseason loss to the Houston Texans? Was it Ian Book, second-year quarterback out of Notre Dame? Was it fourth-year wide receiver Traquan Smith out there still dropping balls? That usually hurts the development of young quarterbacks. I'm just going to throw that out there. Or was it the first-round pick out of Northern Iowa, The left tackle, Trevor Penning, who looked really good at times, but also had some moments where you could tell not quite ready for primetime. Spin moves by pass rushers are something that he's going to have to work on, as do most tackles from college to the pros, in particular tackles from lower levels of college football to the pros. They don't see that type of talent in athleticism. In the conferences that they play, when they get up to the NFL, it's an adjustment. Teron Armstead had to do the same exact thing. Now, he picked it up pretty quick. You expect Doug Marone, Zach Streif, and Jari Evans to work with the young fella to have him make that adjustment. Right now, though, 58% of you say Ian Book had the most disappointing performance, a couple of turnovers, no touchdowns. 31% of you say Traequan Smith, and 11% of you say Trevor Penning. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Our next guest always keeps it clean for the kids. Whether he was covering Louisiana Tech and grambling, or whether he was out in lovely South Carolina covering the Gamecocks, the man's built a reputation of concise, clean, quality reporting. He's bringing that to Acadiana now as the beat reporter for the Raging Cajuns for the Daily Advertiser. It's time for us to welcome back to the program, Corey Diaz. Corey, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, brother. How are you this morning? I'm doing good, bud. I'm doing good. All right, so I know it's a scrimmage. I know it's a scrimmage during fall camp, so there's only so much you can take away from it. But let me ask you, what stood out to you about what you saw over the weekend from the Raging Cajuns and Coach Dez and company?
11: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, obviously we, you know, we we were able to <laughs> watch the guys stretch and, and go through about two periods of, of individual. Then we were obviously kicked out of the indoor facility on Saturday. But um, you know, I, I think I, I think the biggest takeaway from um, spending time with with Des following the scrimmage and uh, you know a couple of players after that was um, you know I, I think that. His his timeline for naming a starting quarterback seems to be um, getting delayed by the day. Um, and and look, obviously that's a credit right to you know Ben Warridge and, and uh, you know Chandler Fields for continuing to go out there and, and perform up to a, a level in which neither one can, can give the other an inch. And so, uh, but you know at, at media days a couple weeks ago, you know Des told me that he'd love to have a guy. You know, by August 22nd, which is the first day of class, I believe, for the university. Um, And that's also kind of when, you know, things shift, you know, in the preseason from, you know, just strictly preseason practice. You know, you're working through these these individual position battles that you may have on your team. And then you sort of shift into more game-focused type preparation, you know, two weeks out from your opener. Uh, it's looking like, man, this thing may be a game week decision, um, you know, between Ben and Chandler. Uh, and, you know, again, I think I may have been on another radio show last week and, and I said this, It's, you know, at some point this kind of becomes maybe more of a hindrance than a help because you really do need to start getting ready. Uh, you know, with whatever 11 is going to be playing on offense, you need to have all 11 of those out there taking those reps together, you know, continuously so they can form that chemistry and that cohesion with each other, you know, before you start playing games. And and if you're, you know, you're rotating your quarterbacks, you know, every six throws, you know, there that just hurts the offense's ability to. Um, you know, to develop that chemistry. And so uh, I think that's kind of the biggest thing, you know, he, that's that he was comfortable letting this thing play out, you know, as long as it takes. And um I, I do think both guys can obviously win games, you know, obviously with the talent, you know, on offense, that will, that will, they will be surrounded with uh, RP three. I think you and I can go out there and probably win some games with this wide receiving core and, and especially Chris Smith at running back. But um it, it's 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 getting it's getting close, man. It's getting it's getting close to that time where I feel like a decision is needs to be made in order to get this team one hundred percent ready to go.
2: Does that lead you to believe then, because since this is dragging out a little bit longer, that this team is going to rely on its running game just like it did under Billy Napier?
11: It, well RP three, I mean, that's the thing about this is You've got you still have position battles going on up front along the offensive line as well. So you don't have your five up front, and I'm not sure at this point, three weeks out from playing your first game, or less than three weeks now, um, you know how how comfortable they would be with, you know, running Chris 25 times a game. Because the thing also about the second layer to that RP three is that behind Chris Smith, what do you have? Yeah, you've got some guys that, you know, Des has said has, um, you know, looked good, you know, in preseason practice, but you don't have guys that have proven themselves in games that matter. And so the, the, the strength of this offense is 100% on the outside. It's the wide receiver core. It's the tight end group. It, it's It's the guys in space. I think whoever they run out there to play quarterback, you know, on September 3rd against Southeastern Louisiana. I wouldn't be surprised, RP3, if we see 33-step drop, quick releases, get the ball to, to Michael Jefferson and to the Peter LeBlancs and, and these guys just to get them to work, move the ball in space, you know, out wide. I, I could I could easily see that, you know, just to be able to, you know, kind of loosen up these defenses because I think you and I both know, especially early on, you know, with the new starting quarterback and, and, and a thin uh, depth chart at running back and a lot of new faces up front along along the offensive line in terms of starting, uh, they're going to see a lot of eight-man boxes. You know, so they're going to have to loosen up these defenses some, especially early. And, and I, so I would not be surprised to see a lot of a lot of your quick read, uh, maybe even some RPO-type, um, you know, plays just to get the ball out of the quarterback's hands really quickly and into the hands uh, of your best playmakers on this offense right now.
2: What about the tight end position? I mean, we, uh, we we talked about it a lot for those who've covered the team for years about utilizing the tight end more and more and more. They have some veteran guys in that position group, just like they do at wide receiver. Uh, you know, a quarterback's best friend sometimes early on, especially as, a, as, as their bailout target at tight end, is tight end something that they could be utilizing more this season?
11: Oh, Oh, one hundred percent, no question. Um, I, I would be, <laughs> I would be shocked, man, if you know if, if Johnny Lumpkin and, and Neil Johnson and, and these guys didn't get more looks, more targets, more touches, um, you know, as much as they possibly could. Because, <clears throat> yeah, you know, again, you've got, you know, you've got a couple of guys, you know, on the outside of the receiver positions that. You know, you know, depending on how they perform, you know, over the next year or two, I mean, could end up being NFL guys, you know, and and I do think that talent is there, but I also think you've got some NFL talent with, say, you know, Johnny Lumpkin at the tight end position as well, and uh, you would be uh, <laughs> you would probably be more apt to um, you know get him involved as much as possible in order to help you win games uh, if you if you utilize his skill set because I do think he's he's probably Pound for pounds, uh, you know one of the one of the most talented, you know football players on the entire on the entire Louisiana football team, and so you you've got to be able to uh, to get him in uh, situations where you can create mismatches, get him the ball, allow him to um, you know really be a guy that can um, you know almost sort of in a weird way carry this offense because I think if you utilize you know the Lumpkins and the Johnsons. You, you do open up a lot of other things, and so um, I, I think you know being able to being able to effectively uh, create that 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 weaponry at the tight end position could be uh, could be really make or break for this offense uh, heading into this year, especially early on.
2: We're talking with Corey Diaz. He covers the Louisiana Raging Cajuns for the Daily Advertiser. He joins us here on RP Three and Company. All right, let's shift to the defensive side of the football. That's where I think this team is going to be led. Uh, they have a lot of veteran guys coming back: Andre Jones, Zion Hill, Braylon Trahan, and, and others. Um, is that necessarily a bad thing to be led by the defense, especially early on?
8: Oh no, <laughs>
11: no. Look, I, I guess I, you know, I'm old school, man. You know, I, I've always to the notion that defense wins championships um you know that's just kind of the 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 college football that that I grew up on and and can remember and so uh no I think it's I think it's great you know and again you know with with all of the question marks that still linger out there on the offensive side I mean at least I would say you know uh Desimo and, and and the rest of the staff they they have to feel good about you know, the work that the guys on offense will continue to get. And then the competitions that are still going on there, because you feel like you could probably roll the ball out there today and win games with a uh, really good defensive performance. <laughs> you know, that's a, that's a big help right there. And so, um, you know, the thing, the thing, the, the one thing I will say out of Saturday, that, uh that is a little bit concerning uh, on the defensive side is, is, is Trey Amos is dealing with a hamstring issue right now. And, uh, Dez said he's hopeful that he'll be ready to go by game one in three in less than three weeks now. Um, but that's not for certain. You know, and he's basically your your starting corner opposite of Eric Gar there. And so you're you could be down a, a key playmaker there on the defensive side. And so uh obviously I know they feel good about some of the guys that they have, you know, on the depth chart, you know, behind. Uh, but you also have you know, again, you're talking about bringing in some more youthful players. And so, um, you know, you need a guy like Trey Am- Amos to be out there uh, to help you win games. And so I-, I would say that's kind of the biggest concern with the defensive side right now. Um, but, no, nah, man, like Dandre Andre Joneses, the Zion Hills, uh, the Eric Gars. I mean, you've got so many playmakers on each level of defense right now that, you know, I, I would say uh, they feel really, really good about where they sit defensively.
2: All right, bud. Former LSU head football coach Ed O got to just swing by. He came by during the spring. Here he was during the fall as well, and Coach Des spoke on it. How surprised were you? Uh, were you to see uh, Coach O there? And uh, what do you make of you know Des, uh, you know, giving his ear, so to speak, to the former national championship winning coach? Yeah, it's. Uh,
11: I mean, I guess to, to see him. To see him at UL's, you know, at any practice, whether it was a scrimmage or just a, you know, a a random, you know, Wednesday or what have you, um, I I don't think that's completely surprising just to see him there because his son Parker is a, uh, you know, is an offensive analyst, you know, on the staff. And so, you know, you would think that he would, um, you know, come and see his, uh, you know, son from time to time, watch him do his thing, but... I mean, I will say, man, just from some of the responses that I've heard, um, you know, from from fans of the football team there, man, it, it's kind of this. They're kind of split, you know, on you know Des spending time with, with Ed Orgeron, or and and um, you know some are some are excited about it because look, I mean, the guy that did win a national championship was with arguably one of the best college football teams ever, you know, and that was just three years ago. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, he, the guy does have that, you know, um, but he's also got a lot of other things that are cloudy and, 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 hovering over. And so it, it, you know, it could not be a good look as well. And so it's, it's interesting, man. Um, you know, Des did say they just talked, you know, some of the main things that they talked about in their visits has just been, you know, scheduling, how they, how they logistically operate and run, you know, whether it be fall camp and preseason practice and spring drills and things like that. And so maybe it was just more, you know, logistical type things. Um, but yeah, man it seems to be uh kind of this polarizing thing so far um but I you know listen I mean the guy's not gonna be there every day you know he's not gonna you know be influencing any game decisions or anything of that nature uh, for des and the staff and so um, i I personally don't read too much into it um i think I think it was half you know a dad coming to watch his son you know uh you know try to get his start here in the coaching profession and and two, uh, I, think there's, I think there are some connections there, um, you know, between Coach O and then and, and, you know, uh, George Munos, you know, the tight ends coach, you know, I think he was at LSU uh, with Ed, I believe. Um, so there's, there's a lot of connections there. So it, it does kind of make sense in a way.
2: Corey, appreciate your time. As always, brother, keep up the tremendous work, and we'll talk to you soon and see you out there at Cajun Field sooner than later, my friend.
11: Appreciate you, my man. Sounds good. Let's do it soon.
2: It's Corey Diaz from the Daily Advertiser. He covers the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Joining us there, giving his thoughts on what he saw so far through fall camp and what he saw from the scrimmage on Saturday for the Raging Cajuns under first-year head coach, Coach Dez. we got to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to shift gears, go over to, I don't know, head west on I-10. Go see our friends over in the Lake Chuck. That's right. They held a scrimmage on Saturday as well. We'll hear from Gary Goff next right here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. August 15th, 1993. Hall of Famer Nolan Ryan records his 324th and final career victory in a 4 to 1 win by the Texas Rangers over the Cleveland Indians. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
2: Oh, are you sick and tired of that constant pain in your knees or hips or back, especially this time of year? Because you need to be moving pain-free, am I right? Hey, it's Raymond Parts III. For the team at QC Kinetics, look, QC Kinetics is helping people here every day, giving them lasting pain relief using the latest advances in regenerative medicine. The science is simple. They concentrate your own body's healing agents and apply them to your aching joints, restoring and repairing damaged tissue with no drugs, no steroids, and no surgery. Listen, the old remedies for pain are not the only remedies. You need to learn more about how regenerative medicine at QC Kinetics can change your life. Make the last summer you suffer from chronic pain be this summer. Dave got clinics here and all over America. This is exciting new natural way to deal with joint pain with no side effects and no downtime. Call QC Kinetics right now for a free consultation. That's 337-243-4222. That's 337-243-4222. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. Who was the most disappointing who had the most disappointing performance if you will from saturday's preseason game once again disclaimer it's preseason no james winston no alvin kamara no mark ingram no michael thomas no chris alave no jarvis Landry, no demario davis the list goes on and on and on that said it's a great opportunity to see some of the younger guys guys that need in-game reps need to go through in-game scenarios To show what they can do. And there was some good and some bad. Abram Smith looked good running the football. Ran with purpose. Didn't run scared. But he coughed it up. Can't have the young fella doing that. Undrafted rookie out of Baylor. Andy Dalton looked really good on that first drive. Five for five. Trevor Penning. Your first round draft pick out of Northern Iowa. Looked good at times. And then other times, spin moves and those veteran moves that the pass rushers are going to use on him, he's got to adjust. That's the biggest adjustment for offensive tackles from college to the pros. I'll say it again for those in the back that didn't hear me the first time. The biggest adjustment for tackles adjusting from college to the NFL is pass protection. Run blocking is pretty much the same. But the caliber of pass rusher in the National Football League, if you're coming from a small school, you do not see that. The likelihood of Trevor Penning experiencing a quality starting pass rushing defensive end during his college career is very slim. Teron Armstead had the same issue when he first got drafted and was developed, but he picked it up quickly and then became a mainstay on the offensive line for the Saints. That's what Doug Marone Zach Shreve and others are hoping they can do with Trevor Penning. Once again, it's the first game I expected him to get beat up a little bit by the pass rush, and he did. And he did. Ian Book was a struggle among all struggles. Guy just does not look like he's ready for the NFL. Guy looks like a scout team, practice squad, quarterback to me. I could be wrong. His offensive line didn't protect him sometimes. Traquan Smith didn't do him any favors. By the way, fourth year in the league, you should be able to p- p- catch the football if you're a wide receiver. Fourth year for Traquan. Dropping balls. So who was the most disappointing? Go vote. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. But let's talk about Nice football. They held a scrimmage on Saturday under first-year head coach Gary Goff. And... He talked to the media afterwards, and he gave his, you know, just his first impressions on what he saw there on the field inside the whole Cowboy Stadium.
10: Well, I didn't like all these self-inflicted wounds. You know, the false starts, misaligned. But kind of expected, right? It's, it's the first time we put these guys in a game-like situation, and we're trying to play fast as we possibly can. But, you know, there at the beginning we had one quick touchdown, but then after that just a lot of silly mistakes that put us behind the chains, second long, third and long. And I just explain to the offense, it's very hard to overcome that on a consistent basis. So, you know, you got to cut out the, the uh, simple mistakes and have positive yards on first and second down. If you do that, you set yourself up in some third and mediums and some third and shorts to keep those chains rolling and get some momentum.
2: Gary's known for his offense. He comes from the air raid uh, process, philosophy. He comes from that Mike Leach, How Mummy coaching tree. Well, how did his offense look?
10: I don't know yet. <laughs> I think pretty good, you know, um, but to be honest, right now my eyes are locked in on the quarterback and the receivers in progression, Um, but I do think at least two of those sacks were, maybe three of those sacks were on the quarterback, so they just got to speed up their decision making right there. But, um, you know, it'll be nice to get Karan back. Karan didn't go today. Again, another starter from a year ago that, you know, has been banged up a little bit in camp already, but uh, it'll be nice to get him back out here and have the the first
2: five going with the offense, but um, I think they did some good things. We talked about in particular about the offense, about quarterback. Walker Walker Wood was taking some reps last week when we had our buddy Jim Gozolo join us, and he said, look, if they liked the quarterbacks they had on the roster after spring, they wouldn't have made it a priority to go out and get Cam Ransom from Georgia Southern to transfer in. It, it, it's Cam's job. They want Cam to seize the opportunity to be the starting quarterback for McNeese in the fall. This is what Gary had to say about the young man from Georgia Southern.
10: I thought he made some mistakes early on, but I thought he threw some really good balls. Um, you know, that ball he threw in the back of the end zone to uh, Duru was a great catch. And I explained to him, man, if you just take a little off and throw that over the top, it's so much easier for a catch for that receiver. And he'll get that with reps. But um, he's got a strong arm. The ball just comes off differently on his hand, that's for sure. But, you know, can he, can he uh, run the offense? And very happy with ball protection. I mean, he, he didn't you know, turn the ball over. I think early on he did two of those sacks are definitely his fault you know that's just timing that's just him you know speeding up in his head a little bit about where the ball
2: should go look it ain't all about the offense though right sometimes the offense is having those struggles it's just not on the players but sometimes it's because the defense is doing its job once again football is a team sport how did gary feel about the cowboys defense on saturday yeah, you know, I tell you, what, our defense does
10: a lot. You know, we talked about offensively yesterday about our defense runs everything, throws everything at you, which is great. I mean, I love an attacking style defense to match offensively. But um, defense, I thought, had a really good scrimmage. Um, besides, I think one of the second or third play of the game, they gave up an easy one, but then they, they buckled in for the next – 30 or 40 plays now red zone's tough right we got to do better in the red zone on both sides they gave up some uh, touchdowns there in the red zone was just was miscommunication on the back end uh, which happens sometimes as you start to get tired and break down a little bit but we gotta learn how to not have that happen we can't give up touchdowns like that come late in the game
2: mcneese of course they're gearing up for the season once again first year New head coach for the New Orleans Saints, new head coach for the LSU Tigers, new head coach for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and a new head coach for the McNeese Cowboys. 2022 football season is going to be immensely fascinating from that perspective to see how all of them deal with their jobs and the pressures that come from being at those locations. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we're going to shift the focus back to the New Orleans Saints because TJ Jones from the state of the Saints podcast is going to be joining us for the Big Easy Blitz. That's next right here on the game 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: Boothead is ready for Saints talk.
2: They give the Camaro. Breaks through, spins at the two into the end zone.
1: Time to talk Saints with the Big Easy Blitz here on RP3
2: and Company. To talk all things black and gold, T.J. Jones from the State of the Saints podcast joins us here on the Big Easy Blitz for RP3 and Company. T.J., good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend?
12: All right, thanks for having me, man.
9: All
2: right, bud. I know it's preseason. I know a ton of the starters are typically going to be out there running the offense, running the defense, did not play as expected. But just kind of give me your summary, both good and bad, of the Saints' first preseason game, a loss to the Houston Texans.
12: Well, well, Ray, you know, preseason is preseason. You know, I I don't think uh, a lot of Saints fans – I take that back. Some Saints fans want the Saints to win. Majority just (laughs) want to see some levels – of improvement I think they did a really good job you know like honestly defensively they they were really really good I mean for the exception of that last drive I mean they they had the Houston Texans in check they the Houston Texans could not move the football uh but when you look at like the first string guys that were out there the ones that were available you have to be extremely impressed I mean the bright spot to me uh was Chase Hansen and Paulson Adebo Paulson Adebo uh, has had a really good training camp and he followed that up with a really solid, uh, you know, a couple of reps that he had. And also Andy Dalton. I mean, Andy Dalton looked uh, as crisp as you possibly can uh, with that 10-play 69-yard drive that the Saints had uh, to open up uh, the preseason. So you have to be pretty optimistic uh, on both sides of the football. If you were kind of, you know, upset about the offensive performances of the New Orleans Saints last year, uh, you have to be really... Uh, pleasant at what you saw from the opening drive for some of the guys that were available for that game
2: let's start at quarterback Andy Dalton looked sharp looked like he understands what Pete Carmichael expects of him didn't do anything overboard but wasn't bad either right and does that type of performance only one series I get it does that make you feel confident that the red rifle can be a reliable backup and keep things afloat for the black and gold if something happens to Jameis during the season
12: oh absolutely you know Andy Dalton has always been a solid quarterback I mean the Cincinnati Bengals when they draft him in the second round out of TCU I mean he I mean he's been a starter for nine years you know they had he's, he's been to the playoffs uh you know and he's also has proven that he can uh play with some of the best uh in the league I mean A.J. Green uh, is one of those guys that we look to as one of the uh, best receivers to play in the 2010s on uh, because of Andy Dalton so it is it's good that we have a solid backup quarterback uh, the New Orleans Saints rather and um, if something was to happen to Jameis you have to be optimistic that the Saints still uh, have a really strong chance of making a playoff this isn't uh, a young guy this is a seasoned veteran that has been there and done that and uh, he has some really good games and some solid performances under his belt. So you have to be really positive about Andy Dalton.
2: What did you make of the offensive line?
12: Um, the, <laughs> the starting offensive line looked pretty good. I mean, surprisingly, even Cesar Ruiz. <laughs> he, looked, he, looked, <laughs> Cesar, he,
2: he, he looked pretty yeah. good.
12: Yeah, he, he really did, man. Cesar Ruiz uh, looked really good on that opening drive. Uh, you had a couple of guys out there that, that kind of stood out. Eric McCoy for that screen pass with that's up. The Wayne Washington um, touchdown. You know, I mean, there, there was some guys on the offensive line looked uh, really, really good. Uh, the, the second team, uh, uh, man, uh, Landon Young and, and Trevor Penning, they got a lot of work to do. Uh, if something was to happen to James Hurst or Ryan Ramchick, I think we'll be in trouble. Those guys have to step it up, man. Uh, Trevor Penning. Uh, I, I heard you talking a little bit earlier about some of uh, the things that he struggled with look man this is a national football league uh, northern Iowa that's great you were kind of a big fish in a little pine but these pass rushers have all these different finesse moves and ways to get to the quarterback and he's going to have to adjust i mean his running his run blocking was really good pass protection needs a lot of work and uh Landon young uh, he, he has to get better at pass protection as well so first team looks uh you know really good. Uh, the second team uh, has a lot to work to do.
2: And Trevor reminds me a little bit of Armstead as well, right, from a smaller school that came up, struggled with pass protection early, but right. Tehran picked it up pretty quickly, right? And yeah. for the Saints, though, they don't need to rush Trevor at all. They have a guy that is a competent guy that can start there at left tackle for him. Is he going to be great? Is Hurst great? No. Mm. but they don't have to rush Trevor's development either, do they?
12: Right. I mean, that. look, James Hurst is a solid offensive lineman, and, and what you don't want to do is, is rush a guy out there. You know, it, it's not like uh, one of those situations where you're in desperate need at, at that position. You got a guy that can uh, kind of weather the storm until you get Trevor Penney to where he needs to be and you're comfortable enough to have him on the field. So, uh, you know, it, it's a good problem, you know what I'm saying, to have that you actually can work with the young guy and allow a guy like James Hurst to try to fill in. I mean, if I'm a betting man, week one versus the Atlanta Falcons, James Hurst is going to be the starting left tackle.
2: Talking with TJ Jones from the State of the Saints podcast. He joins us here on RP3 and company for the Big Easy Blitz. No Camara no mark ingram they took the game off got the younger guys a chance to shine tony jones jr looked good the second year guy he looked good last present season as well but didn't do anything during the regular season i liked what i saw out of the kid from baylor until he started coughing up the football what'd you make of the rushing attack it did average three and a half yards per carry for the game
12: um i wasn't really impressed with a few guys like devon zigbo I wasn't really impressed with his performance. Uh, you know, I just think that he was doing a little bit too much uh, tap dancing like Fred Astaire out there. You know, he, he wasn't hitting the hole the way I feel like he should have. Uh, I, I thought that he would uh, perform better. Uh, Abram Smith, uh, you mentioned the rookie out of Baylor. I mean, he ran pretty good. I mean, he averaged like four yards per carry. He had a long of nine yards, but you know, it, it's almost like, you know, I, I use an example. It's like uh, you drove for an hour, right? And you drove 59 minutes and 50 seconds worth of flawless driving. And as soon as you get into your neighborhood, you hit a fire hydrant. Well, all that good (laughs) driving is completely wiped out, you know, by me hitting a fire hydrant. I mean, you cannot fumble on a goal line. I mean, that was a chance for the Saints to kind of put that game away. And uh, he he kind of squandered the opportunity. So, I mean, he's going to have to get back into the good graces because we know that the Saints – uh, they, they don't really tolerate fumbling a football. I mean, you could find yourself deep on that bench uh, if you start coughing up the football. But uh, Dwayne Washington did good. But, I mean, we, we know he's going to be a special teams guy. But if I'm looking around, if something was to happen to Alvin Kamara, uh, something was to happen to Mark Ingram, uh, I think the Saints would be in trouble when it comes to the running game.
2: I've said this. When I look at the young guys, when I see – Ian Book, and I'll get your thoughts on on, on Ian here shortly. <laughs> um, but when I look at the young guy, the kid out of Baylor, right? He, he's mm-hmm. an undrafted rookie. Uh, Tony Jones Jr. is still a second-year guy. Trevor Penning is a first-round guy from a small school. He's a he's a rook. Uh, th- there's going to be some, you know, lear- there's going to be a learning curve. There's going to be some miscues from the young guys. Right. When I see Traquan Smith entering his fourth season – in the National Football League, out there still dropping balls, I—that is one that I really can't excuse away. Like, like you're supposed to, you're 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 fighting for a roster spot. I know he can run block, TJ, but I, I mean, come on, man, this is year number four. Year number
12: yeah. four. Yeah, I mean, look, I I, <laughs> I I was on the State of the Saints podcast and I was defending Trey Quasbid. I mean, people were telling me about. Trayquann Smith, you know, dropping passes and stuff, and I was like, does he really drop a lot of passes, or it's just like he just doesn't show up in games? And I, I went back and I watched a few games. I'm like, he doesn't really drop many passes. And then, I, if T turns around and, and drops that pass. I'm like, wow. I like, I guess I see what people are talking about. But I, I absolutely 100% agree with you. Look, Trayquann Smith has been in this system. where he's like his fifth, going into his fifth year, or you know, fourth like, year, fourth year. Be able- yeah you got to be able to get it done you got to be able to get it done the team uh should be relying on you at this point you should be really involved in the offense but I mean based on like his knowledge I think that he's kind of ahead of some of the guys there because he knows the offense and based on like being a fourth or fifth receiver I feel like he could possibly make the team over some other guys but if I would just you know, somebody watching on the sideline don't know about any of those guys, he'll probably be on his way out.
2: And here's the other thing that, that I point out. Do I think because of his run blocking ability, do I think they want to keep him? Absolutely. They, they love his run blocking ability. Yeah. But when you look yeah. at this roster, right? hmm Thomas, Juice, Alave are going to be your top three. Then it's Deontay Hardy is right. going to be your number four. Right? I think Callaway's your five. I, I do. I, I think they're still going to keep him around. So they typically keep six, which right. means Trey Kwan's battling it out with undrafted rookie free agent Desha- uh, Deshaun Dixon, who, by the way, looked good yep. out of Nichols. And he's battling Kevin White. Here's the thing. Dixon doesn't cost them anything because he's an undrafted rookie free agent. That ain't nothing right. for the Saints. And Kevin White is trying to earn a roster spot by being a gunner on special teams. right and he actually looked pretty good as a gunner on special teams Mm -hmm. so yeah I I know we all think Kevin White's going to get cut and Dixon's just going to be on the practice squad I don't know man I I think Traquan's going to have to show up here in these last two preseason games to really solidify his spot on the roster don't you
12: yeah but here's the thing I mean I I think the one thing that kind of bothers us about Traquan Smith is he doesn't he didn't live up to expectations that's fair. I can ask anybody, ask any Saints fan, do you have the same level of expectation for Traquan Smith like you did last year versus this year? Like nobody's really expecting him to do anything. Like he had one catch for 15 yards. If Traquan Smith had one catch for 15 yards for the remainder of the 2022 season, who cares at this point? I I just think that the expectations of what you wanted Traquan to be is is making you upset as a fan, but being a – a fourth or fifth string wide receiver in, in a rotation—you uh, know, nobody's really expecting him to do anything. So I just think the expectation isn't as high. So because of that, you might—he might find himself on a team because of that—that that great attribute he had, which is run block.
2: <laughs> I'll get your thoughts on Ian Book. Look, I saw him <laughs> in college. I saw him work out and practice during the Senior Bowl a few years back. I saw him in the Senior Bowl game. Right. I didn't think he was a fourth-round pick. He's gutty. He's an athlete. He gets after it. I get it. Not trying to knock the kid, but mechanically, there's things that he does that don't translate to the NFL. He does not look like a starting quarterback to me. I know the offensive line didn't do him any favors. I know Traquan Smith didn't do him any favors. I get all that. But when you saw Ian Book out there taking the majority of the snaps, and I expect him to do it again against Green Bay, TJ. Does that guy look like he's gonna make the 53-man roster to you?
12: Absolutely, positively not. Um, Ian Book is not ready for prime time. I mean, obviously he wasn't ready for prime time when he played the Dolphins last year, but he's still not ready for prime time. Look, it's gonna to be tough for him to make this team. I mean, mostly most NFL teams carry two quarterbacks. And I can make a I can make an honest uh debate that He's not even the third-best quarterback on the team, Taysom Hill is. So, I mean, I, where, where does he fit? That, that, that was not a good performance by him. And Andy Dalton coming in being flawless. I mean, for that second uh, the second series, he still has some starters out there. He still has some off good the starting offensive line out there, and he throws – like, how are you six feet tall and you overthrow a 6 foot a guy? I mean, I just don't understand that but he has to step it up, you know? He has to step it up, but the good thing about all of this, Ray, is this. He still has an opportunity to replace Drew Brees, okay? Because I I know that NBC, you know, and Notre Dame, I mean, he went there, so he probably got an opportunity to replace Drew Brees or color or something like that in the future. So he still has that opportunity, but it's gonna be hard for him to make this this 53-man roster with all of the talent that the Saints have, And, uh, you know, I don't see them carrying him, not even on the practice squad.
2: I set it up for you. You delivered, my friend, (laughs) as expected. Brother, appreciate your time, as always. Can't wait to have you back on. We'll make sure to do it before the start of the season. Brother, enjoy the rest of your week, my friend.
12: All right, you too, Ray, man. Thanks for
2: having me. It's TJ Jones, host of the State of the Saints podcast, joining us here for the Big Easy Blitz. We got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up today's show, get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes. That's all coming up next, right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. <laughs> our guests for joining us here on this Monday edition of RP3 and company. Glenn Gilbo from Outkick talked his new book on Skip Burtman. Corey Diaz, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns beat reporter for the Daily Advertiser. And TJ Jones, host of the State of the Saints podcast. We asked you for our poll question of the day. Who had the most disappointing performance in the Saints game on Saturday? 62% of you say Kevin Foote's favorite backup quarterback, Ian Book. 28% say Traquan Smith, and 10% of you said Trevor Penning did. Thank you for all who voted on the poll question of the day, all of you who commented as well. Thanks for our callers this morning, and a special shout-out to producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names. What a great way to start off the week. But that's going to do it for us today. We'll be back on tomorrow, 6 to 9, but until then, be safe out there, be kind to one another. Kevin Foote and footnotes is up next right here on the game 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros.